Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright here, as always, with Howard Tybal. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you today, Pete. Such a pleasure. We're waiting for the. We're waiting for uh, Snowmageddon for you. Snowmageddon, but I think they're inflating this whole problem. I don't think it's going to be as bad. Do you get that, by the way? The whole inflating. They're inflating. Do you have any connection making, to what's going are on? Are you making a data joke already? No, I'm making a football joke. Wow, you are. <laughs> you Inflate. forget where I live. <laughs> Is there a sports ball game going on somewhere that I missed? There will be. At this Talk about uh, controversy, but we won't go there. Oh. Terry, you know what I'm talking about, right? I absolutely do. There we go. All right, Pete, so introduce okay, our guest. so I'm the third wheel. I get it. We are still, even though I'm already being made fun of, we are thrilled to have our guest here. Tara Scherer is the Assistant Vice President for Institutional Research and Effectiveness at Loyola University, Maryland. Tara, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. We, uh, you know, we have talked, well, first of all, we've talked a bunch about Loyola. Um, we had a, a wonderful series uh, of conversations uh, with uh, representatives from Loyola talking about a new way of proceeding. We Episodes 72, 73, and 74, if you're interested in going back and, and listening to those episodes, it, uh, we had a, some great conversations with folks talking about the, the importance of the administrative review and how they went through it at Loyola. Um, so listeners of the show will be familiar with with sort of the Loyola story. But part of the reason uh, we wanted to invite Tara to join the show is to talk a little bit about the importance and the role of institutional research, what IR does uh, when it's doing its job really well. Now, Howard, you have had a chance to work with Tara in the past, yes? Yeah, and so here's what what prompted me in our planning of these kind of conversations. I, I think this question of data is increasingly become important as data becomes more available and we're learning how to process it better. Uh, this kind of um, activity is something that institutions can use to supplement their work and to help guide. Uh, and you know, and this is what we'll talk about a little bit. You know, are we guiding change? Are we driving change? And Tara is in the center of that. In my experience of Tara and the group at uh, at Loyola is that they're very much ahead of the curve. Matter of fact, they're 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 spending and tell me if you agree with this, Tara. A lot of their time trying to even educate people within their institution about what they can do because I think there's a misunderstanding of how much institutional research can provide to an institution to help guide where they're going. And I thought that it's really important to raise this for institutional leaders to go back and say, are we effectively using IR? So, you know, this is sort of how I want to kick this off with you, Tara, is if you think about, you know, I'm looking at the mission statement uh, about what IR does. When, when you think about the discipline of institutional research and when it's really humming and serving the institution, what are they fundamentally doing? You know, and again, we've got listeners who might even not know exactly what IR does. So if you can just give us a, a brief primer of when it's when you're doing the, the work and you're really serving the institution, what are you actually doing and, and, and how is that playing out? Sure. And, you know, I, I have my little elevator speech that I use on this that I've stolen bits and pieces from um, other colleagues. And what I tell folks is that if you think about what the U.S. Census Bureau does for uh, studying the U.S. demography, 
And then you think about what the Brookings Institute does in terms of studying policy. I am Loyola's Census Bureau and Brookings Institute. And when, um, when we're working well and when we're serving the university well, we're, doing, uh, we're wearing both of those hats. Mm, that's perfect. But that, that really does sum it up. Uh, so, so when I think about decision-making and you, and you think about when you get inserted in this process, how do you find that you get pulled into something or find yourself saying, I should be involved in this? You know, one of the things you're finding that's happening today where, where you're finding yourself being inserted into really important conversations well, and I've been fortunate um, at Loyola. I, I think it's because for two rounds now, our uh, vice president of academic affairs has been mathematicians. So they like numbers and they want the numbers people in the room. And now our, our VPAA is a psychologist and she's a, a, a researcher uh, at heart. And so she also wants the data person in the room. So I've been fortunate to be at the table. And that doesn't always happen. Um, but when I'm at the table early enough in a conversation to know whether I should continue to, to be involved, whether there's something that my office can lend, that's, uh, that's what we're working really well. So what kind of data are you finding today that you're being asked to either research or present uh, at the cabinet level or even for boards where they're trying to drive some different decisions decision-making? Well, you know, an awful lot of benchmarking um, on just about everything from enrollments to pricing to uh, expenditures. Um, you know, we do an awful lot of benchmarking and, and I have a particular um, idea about whether that's a good thing or not. Uh, but we do that a lot. And then the other big piece is uh, satisfaction and student experience. We, we uh, have a robust survey research program here. And uh, the board of trustees in particular and the cabinet as well really want to hear uh, what our students are saying about their experience and, and the value they're getting out of uh, their time at Loyola. So, you know, Pete and I had this conversation before we got started about benchmarking. You know, when you just mentioned in terms of surveying students, I love that particular thing because what this is, is this is a way that you're saying we may not know, we think we know what our students need or what they want or what our faculty need or want, but we're going to ask. And it mm -hmm. sounds like you play a big part in in reaching out and getting that information. So to me, that's an invaluable thing. We we think we know our customers or the people we're trying to serve, but we often don't. With respect to benchmarking, and this is where I am challenged sometimes because we, you know, sometimes we're asked to do a benchmarking study, and we're so we'll ask, give us your peer and aspirin schools, okay? So we get those, and then we look at either publicly available data through iPads, or we look at other data, and sometimes we have to survey, and all this stuff is familiar to you. But what I find in the end, when the data comes back, and we're sitting down, and we're trying to look and use that data. It seems to me, and, and this is where I, I'd love your perspective, it seems to me that often what it does is it it's used to give us almost not much more than a comfort level that we're not either too far behind or behind or hopefully we're ahead. But beyond that, 
I find benchmarking sometimes to be a very limited way of thinking about trying to produce the kind of change that's right for that particular institution. Do you understand where I'm coming from? I, I do. And, you know, here you're going to have the data person telling you that the data is not important. But, um, you know, benchmarking certainly plays a, a critical role. But, uh, you know, there's a, a saying about benchmarking, which is that uh, even pigeons can do it. And I think sometimes it prevents institutions from think from thinking for themselves. Um, you know, what is it that we want to be doing vis-a-vis -vis our mission or our aspirations if all we do is look outside and do the environmental scan and the benchmarking to see what everyone else is doing and where we fit in with that. Students and parents now and, and adult learners too at the graduate and continuing education side have a certain idea of what um, college or university is going to be like and they generally paint um, a pretty similar picture year over year and, and institution to institution. And so you're right, Pete, I think, you know, it's beholden to the institution for us to do a little bit of thinking for ourselves in terms of, you know, what we uh, think is the right and appropriate thing to do. Are you finding, Tara, you know, you're much closer to being asked for this kind of things. You know, these become sort of mini projects often on larger projects that we're doing. But do you find that you have to work hard to get people to understand not just what you can provide, but why it's important? You know, again, I'm I'm going to say not so much at Loyola. I mean, they really, from the time that I came in 2006, I've been able to be at the table and um, build an office and a program that's generated enough social capital here where people do, you know, really don't hesitate to call me in um, and to bring us into the conversation. Now, that's not the case of many of my colleagues. Well, see, what's interesting about – yeah, and I'll tell you that when you say be at the table, what I assume you mean is that you actually get to sit in on meetings of the senior leaders, the vice presidents and the president and listen to the kinds of things they're concerned about directly versus being told through some other party, this is what you need to be doing, correct? Correct. And, you know, I feel good when about 70% of what my office does are the things that someone has asked us to do, and the other 30% are the things that we know we can do to be helpful because we know what conversations are happening. You know, it's such an interesting thing, Pete, because this this kind of uh, being a, having a seat at the table can be uh, represented in other disciplines in the higher ed. So, for example, there's a huge array of how HR uh, as a division uh, is engaged in strategy. And often if you have somebody at the table and it's a vice president in some cases, you have a greater capacity to understand the issues because you're there listening. And, and I'll tell you that what I'm hoping is that some people listening to this who are looking at structure, they're saying, how do we put IR people uh, in a place where they can be listening directly versus just being delegated to? Because that's what I see. That's where I see this. You, you don't get great support from IR when they're not engaged the way you are. And that's it's. So how did you build that? Was it always the case you were at the table or did you actually, as part of the work, 
moved yourself in that direction? A slight combination of both. I mean, I, I, we have a group at Loyola called the Council of Academic Deans, and they meet about every other week or so. And from the beginning, I was part of that group. Um, and from being there, and I think folks saw the value that IR could provide through what we were able to, to bring to that group and help them with, then I became involved in the Academic Senate and the Loyola Conference. I go to cabinet meetings fairly regularly, um, and it just it sort of uh, snowballed um, from being able to be in that, that one group of folks who just sit around and, and think about what the challenges are and, and how to do things better. I'm, I'm really fascinated uh, to go back just a minute. You, you mentioned the split about 70-30, 70% of your work uh, in your office comes from the work that you're asked to do, and 30% is the work that you feel, you know, is, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm, I'm sort of thinking about it as entrepreneurial research, right? The stuff that you, you undertake because you believe it'll help the institution. Can you talk a little bit about uh, more about what makes up that thirty percent, and and what are the what are the trends and uh, data points that inspire you uh, to go further on your own? Yeah, well, a concrete example of that, Pete, would be something like our uh, test optional admissions policy. Um, I happen to be uh, in uh, a meeting where it was talked about that we might want to try this. And so I came back to my office and and our staff got together and we set about looking at what the experience had been at other institutions, um, some of our peer institutions, what we might be able to expect. We modeled out uh, what we could expect from it and really helped to um, come to the decision that it really is the right thing for the institution to do. And at the same time, committed that our office would um, look closely at our experience with that and would assess that and make sure that, you know, it was functioning the way we wanted it to. And so we did that over a course of four pilot years. So that's a sort of example of something that someone didn't ask us to do. We knew that there was a conversation happening and we said, hey, we can help you with that. And then it goes directly back in to drive us, you know, strategic decisions at the, across, I imagine, academic departments eventually the institution right you know here's something I'm, i find fascinating having done or participated in the new way of proceeding having done some prior and actually doing some now and you know i got to work closely at different times with tara on this and got to see the kinds of information she was pr- able to provide not only to the committee but to the co-chairs and you know, what's interesting is in the absence of a strong institutional research group or that they're not central part of the part of the uh, initiative. The question I'm I struggle with, but I also I have a certain optimism of the people who are in the roles where they have to consider making changes in many ways. They know what's working and not working. What they don't know is maybe some of the facts, the financial facts, the some of the ratios. And some of that stuff is important. But one of the things I try to do, Tara, is give a, a larger benefit of the doubt to people who work through an organization that they can be part of solving their own problem. And I find a lot of variation in this. I see a lot of institutions that don't have that confidence that their people could do this and and it sort of offload the whole exercise to outside consultants and others who go directly to the institution or the, these institution leaders and they expect them to have all the answers. 
And I don't find a sort of a good understanding how to do it in a balanced way. So when you reflect back on new way of proceeding, what what do you think how, what do you think went well about that where where data was used in a way that helped forward decision making? Well, you know, I, I think you were there when we met as a, a group of, you know, a hundred or so folks, everyone who was working on it. And one of the things that um, I told them was please don't ask me for a data point ask me a question. Um, and I think that that's when it works well for us is when folks ask a question because like Pete said, you know, folks often don't know what IR is. They don't know what we have, what we could lend to the process. And so if folks aren't hemmed in by this preconceived notion of what data is available, then we can um, really go a lot farther. I love that distinction, and I'll tell you, when we've done that on other projects, or when the reaction from people, the first reaction is, and I think you were anticipating this, is they assume that if you just give them data, that will somehow move them in a direction. And what you're basically saying is, I can get you data, but I need to understand first the kinds of questions you're engaged in. And in in one respect, that's very that's common sense, but for some reason, we don't lead from that. You know, so what, what you, why do you find that people don't sort of naturally gravitate in that way? Well, I think because of, you know, some of the way we talk about this, you know, we've gone from data-driven decision-making to data-informed decision-making, um, but the, the word data is still so pivotal there. And, you know, one of the things that I think does not work well is when we assume that the audience or the receiver of the data is an analyst. Um, you know, that's that's really our job in my shop is to analyze the data. And we really don't try and provide data, actually. What we really try and provide is information um, because we don't want to leave it up to the person receiving it to be able to understand all of the context and nuance about those data points. We want to do that for them and give them information instead of data. I'm so glad and, you said that. That feels like probably the number one misunderstanding of, of institutional research, at least in my experience, is, is you know, that you're just providing the data and not the interpretation, when really it's, it, interpretation is so, so key. Um, in, in not being paralyzed by data points if you just don't know how to, how to interpret it. Right. And the, the interpretation it can be a little dicey, though, because we're not subject matter experts in most cases. You know, we're not student development professionals. We're not, um, you know, faculty affairs professionals for the most part. Uh, we're not advancement professionals. So there's, there's the subject matter expertise that needs to be brought to it that we can't provide, but we can get you, you know, kind of halfway around that loop. And, and that's what we try and do. So we, we're kind of like the Joe Fridays of the data, you know, just the facts. Um, we don't do interpretation in terms of saying, for the most part, in terms of saying this is a good thing or a bad thing, but we will tell you what the thing is. Well, uh, and I'll tell you that from a, from an organizational uh, acclimation standpoint, this demands or requires trust, you know, for 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 groups to not just one to reach out to you and say, "Here's the information." Be aware that you can help them with that. Then take that, you do the analysis, you do the interpretation. 
that really demands a high level of building an organization where people look to you and say, not only can we trust your data, but we trust that you understand what you know and you understand what you don't know. And it sounds very much like you come at this with clarity about here's our boundary. Here's what we can do. And we're not going to pretend like we're the subject matter experts on the ground, but here's what we can give you. And I think those are really important distinctions to make. And that builds trust. Yeah, I think you're right. And we've We've done a good job. I mean, it's you're talking to me, but I'm one person in an office of five people who have done a good job really in, in generating trust on campus. And so people really view us, and we try really hard at this, to view us as you know the truth teller, that we don't have a particular agenda. Um, and, and that although you know we may report in some particular reporting line, we we work for the university. We're really one of those sort of pan-campus functions. Yes. So looking forward, where would you say this whole question of data, big data, the with respect to higher ed, um, do you see anything shifting significantly in how you gather and what you're gathering in terms of data? Or do you see in the next three to five years, it's just going to, we're going to be do a, we're going to have faster ability to get the data, but fundamentally the process is going to continue as is. What, what do you see looking forward? Well, I think, um, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about this, but I think one of the things that's going to be developing are the longitudinal data systems, at least on a state basis. And several states are farther along than than others on this, where we track students from, you know, K-12 all the way up through uh, their post-secondary education and then out into the job force because, you know, everyone is so concerned with outcomes and rightfully so. Uh, so, you know, that's going to become a bigger player, I think, for IR offices to to get into those data and be able to utilize them. Um, but other than that, I think that, you know, the tools, the technical tools to get at the data, to, to uh, analyze the data, you know, more seamlessly, more quickly, you know, those things may come along. Um, but it really, I think the training that is happening right now with some uh, postgraduate certificate programs for folks in IR is probably going to be the single biggest um, change in the in the field where most folks, myself included, um, you know, never knew that this field existed until we fell, you know, fell over ourselves into it. And so now we have people who are actually being trained in the subject matter areas, in the technical areas, and that's just going to improve the service that IR can provide to institutions in the future. What a great story to tell and what a great service to provide institutions. I, you know, and and clearly Loyola is making great use of your office's expertise in, in making strategic decisions. It's a real treat to have you on the show, Tara. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Pete. Howard, uh, I'm so glad that you brought Tara to our attention. Well, it's interesting because after having, uh, you know, the chief business officer or finance perspective, the administration perspective, the faculty perspective, I think you can see now why this leg of, of the of the table was a really important piece because, you know, we had 10 teams. And again, this is, Tara does a lot more than that. Just that, that one project was one piece of a much bigger pie of what she's done before and done after. But I can tell you that 
having her available to 10 teams and 100 people, and not necessarily all of them took advantage of it, but those that did, you can see the value where they can then not get stopped uh, because they're stuck in this idea, we don't have the data. And that's what we're finding in a lot of these projects is that decision-making gets stalled when people begin to say to themselves, we don't have some core fundamental, or as Tara is saying, the distinction, more information, the right information. I, I think we have to train people more and more how to even ask for this. And and I think that is a, that's a discipline, Tara, I would imagine that you're continuing, uh, continuously focusing on, which is how do we educate people about not what we can do, but how we can help them. Yeah, it's, it's always something we're trying to work on here. So it's great. So thank you, Tara. Really fa- fantastic. Uh, it, it, it's fantastic for our listeners to hear this piece of it. And I think you're going to be in the middle of some very exciting things going on in the future. So it, it's just great having worked with you. Thanks. It's a fun job. I think if there is any moral to this story, if you are listening to this and you don't work at Loyola, you probably don't know enough about your own Department of Institutional Research. You should check them out and ask them some great questions uh, or ask them to help you ask some great questions. This is a terrific resource. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on behalf of Tara Scher, Assistant Vice President for Institutional Research and Effectiveness at Loyola University, Maryland, and the great and powerful Howard Teibel. <laughs> Terry, he does this all the time. I never know. Uh, I am Pete Wright. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Finding a, find us at tybalink.com. You can subscribe to the show for free in iTunes. Make sure you don't miss a single episode. And we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybalink. Link.